0: Hi, this is Elizabeth Bailey, and you're listening to the Citizens Podcast from Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama. There was a time in the spring of 2018, uh, it was about February or so of that year, that I hit the lowest point of my adult life. It was easily the lowest ebb that I could ever remember from being a small boy to a grown man. A number of bad things had happened. I got my dream job, which turned into kind of half of a nightmare by the end. A close friend that had been holding my baby Eloise a mere two weeks earlier had been shot dead and murdered uh, on a street near us. My wife was pregnant with Tyler, um, and the doctor got quiet in the sonogram, ultrasound, and then had the grief counselor, doctor, and people come to say, We need to expect that Tyler would not survive his birth and ready ourselves for that. And at that point in my life, as thing after thing after thing started to overwhelm me, and care cases that I was responsible at the church were not moving in any positive direction and felt so heavy that my arms were gonna break off. I was so discouraged, even I decided not to plant citizens and and leave in the summer of 2018. And I had to go to the elders and say, hey, we need to cancel these plants. I am so discouraged and beaten up at the moment. I just want to survive next week and still believe in Jesus and his goodness. And what happened is a friend came alongside me and encouraged me and the friend didn't encourage me that everything was going to work out because much of it wouldn't. Tyler would live and thrive. Y'all know Tyler. He's doing okay. Okay enough. He didn't tell me everything was going to work out and be fine. That was not true. He didn't tell me I was a great guy and didn't deserve any of this and surely you'll make it out of it, Justin. He didn't give me some posi vibes only of like, hey, just think positive thoughts. None of that was going to make any of this better or bring Jason back from the dead. But instead, he pointed me to the word of God, that God's faithfulness would not be ending with my troubles. That my current troubles were not the total record of what would happen in the history of the world. Instead, God's faithfulness extends to the skies, and he has not changed. If he feels far, that is one thing, but God actually has not moved. He was with me. It would be faithful to me, to my family, to his church, until the skies ripped over heaven and the king came back. And slowly but surely, the encouragement of God's word through another member of the church encouraged my heart to say, I'm going to believe even if I don't feel like believing today. I'm going to believe that God is faithful even if all these situations go poorly, worse than poorly, and I have to go plan another funeral. Even if that's the reality, God has not moved, he has not changed, and his love endures forever and ever I thought back to the saints at Sojourn, those who'd worshiped with cancer until we buried them and worshiped with their heart. I thought back to the people that it wasn't miscarriage one, but five. I thought back to all the people of what they'd been through and that God had not stopped being faithful to them and their story. And that matched what we find in the Bible. When you read all the people of old, it goes on and on that nothing seems to go very well, but God is good. And he is good to save his people. And when we look at this text today, we've talked about the bigness of the gospel in chapter 1, Paul's affection for them in chapters 2 and 3, chapter 4, how to live a holy life. And then Paul turns and actually finally addresses what's going on. This letter is being written to a church plant that's maybe three months old. These people believed Paul was only there for three weeks to teach them. And he's writing this letter back because the Thessalonian church, this group of maybe two dozen people, is mourning They're suffering. And why are they mourning? Well, look at verse 13. It says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers. Remember, brothers is shorthand for brothers and sisters, all the people of the church. About those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. See, when Paul and Timothy had left, a riot had broken out. Government persecution had broken out over the riot. And it appears that some brand new believers, three weeks old in the faith, believers in Thessalonica had been murdered over their faith about 21 to 35 days after they believed. He's writing back to a grieving people. That those husbands, those wives, those children, what happens to Grandpa? Because Paul had not had time to explain everything in the Christian faith in three weeks. Instead, he hit the gospel, he'd hit the high notes, he'd explain the Old Testament, but parts of Jesus' return and how death worked in the faith were unclear. So the Thessalonian church was dismayed, they were grieving. Paul first feeds them the good news of the gospel and how to follow Jesus, but now it's time to turn to their tears and say, what do you do with your tears, church? And this is Paul's word. When it says asleep, that's Paul's word for death. It can sound confusing to us, but he's saying that those who've fallen asleep, those who've died, I don't want you to be uninformed, but instead able to grieve with hope. And it would be deeply troubling to you Thessalonians, not knowing what happens to their loved one, not having a murder happen before them. How else would they have died in this short time? These Thessalonians live with a certain urgency that Jesus would return. And so Jesus hasn't returned yet, so what do we do? And Paul gives them five clear anchors about the end of the world to say, hang your hope on this this is how the world ends with Jesus. This is how Jesus returns. And this is the grounds that you can grieve with hope no matter how shaken you are. So look with me at verse 14 and what the Paul tells them. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring those with him, those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. And we get the first of the five anchors. And the first one is this, that Jesus rose from the dead. Therefore, Jesus is victorious over death, meaning all who die in Christ are not lost. In fact, because Jesus is victorious over death, that when we die, when they died, that we go to be with our Lord. We go to be with our Lord in our soul and spirit. Our body turns cold over time and gets put in the ground, but our soul goes to live with Jesus. So first he assures them, because Jesus rose from the dead after three days, that death does not have the final hold on those who believe in Jesus. And it comes with the second close one, that the dead will return with Jesus. At the end of time, as Jesus comes back and tears open the skies, that all the dead in Christ will actually come with Jesus. This enormous train of all the church of all time comes with the Lord Jesus back to earth. So he's telling them they're not lost at all, but they're with the Lord. And in fact, when the end comes, they're coming with them. And so verse 15 highlights this reality that it's not preferable to stay alive until Jesus comes back. We all want to keep living. That's a good thing. But he's not saying they haven't been lost. They haven't fallen behind. It's not going to, there's no advantage. The dead are already with the Lord. So Jesus rose from the dead and the dead will come back with Jesus. Paul expands on this more in verses 16 and 17, and it's key to understanding this relationship of death and his coming. Verse 16 says this, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, Will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. The third anchor is this that when the Lord comes, everybody's gonna know it. No one's gonna miss it. No one's gonna miss the Lord's coming. There's going to be a trumpet from God that sounds very loud. An archangel is going to announce it. We can only assume this is Michael from Jude 9, the book of Daniel, Revelations 12. There's no other archangel mentioned. What all that means? I don't know, but someone who's the archangel is going to yell in a way that the entire world is going to shake when it happens. A trumpet will blow, a cry of command. No one's going to miss out that Jesus is back. And this smacks with what Jesus says in Matthew 24. Jesus says this about his own return. He says, see, I've told you beforehand. So if someone says to you, look, he's in the wilderness, don't go out. If a cult leader tells you to go out into the wilderness to go find the second coming, don't do it, team. (laughs) Stick with citizens. We ain't doing it. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, don't believe it. If someone wants you to go deep into some crypt or temple or find Jesus in a hidden room, no, (laughs) just say no. Verse 27, for as lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. That's Jesus' favorite title for himself. Lightning is going to rip across the sky globally, and everyone is going to know that the Lord is back. You will not miss it. The Thessalonians have not missed it. They were probably even wondering, they lived with such urgency that the Lord would return. Wait a minute, did he come back and, and, and leave, or did something happen, or, or what are we doing here? Did we, did we do the faith wrong? Like, we've only been around three months, and these people are dying, and we don't know what to do. Paul's settling their heart to say, Jesus rose from the dead. The dead are coming back with Jesus. And when Jesus is here, you're going to know it. He's coming for his bride as a bridegroom who loves you. No one's going to miss this event. And when he comes back, it leads this fourth idea that the resurrection begins as the Lord descends. When the Lord is coming, it says, first, the dead will rise. And this is a confusing text. I just want to put that up there. But Paul still says this confusing text is to encourage us to live a faithful life. So to get into this, Jesus is descending and returning, and then it says, the dead will rise first meaning these disembodied souls, spirits of all Christians who've ever believed will receive back their body from the dead first before us, maybe we're not living when this happens, before people who are alive meet the Lord. So everyone will receive back their body. Now you science people are like, wait, how does that work? People are made of carbon, oxygen, water. Nitrogen, phosphorus, calcium, these basic six or so elements. And what God, who created everything, is going to do is do a recreation to take the literal materials of this world and reconstitute the physical bodies of first all who've died in Christ, but it actually says first here because it's going to reconstitute the bodies, resurrect all people of all time. But only as church will be raptured or taken up to meet the Lord in the air, as the scripture says. It will meet him in the clouds, and it doesn't mean rain clouds or thunder clouds, there might be thunder in them, but these are the clouds of glory that we see throughout Exodus on Mount Sinai leading people through the wilderness, the clouds of transfiguration around Jesus and the gospel, the clouds in which Jesus ascends to heaven in Acts 1. The clouds will fill, the lightning will strike, the world will roar with the trumpet, Jesus will return, and a mass resurrection event will begin to unfold in a way that there will be nothing ever like it again. This is a creation of the world, recreation of the world, one time, all time, everything's changing event. The Thessalonians won't miss it. We won't miss it. But what happens is that all will meet the Lord in the air. The fifth anchors. we will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And the Greek words here are a little bit important. In verse 15, this word coming of the Lord, this coming to meet is this parousia. Which is this meaning of, in Greek, when some important dignitary came to your town, he was coming. There was a perusia. There was an appointment of him coming. And then they use a word in verse 17 of apatasis, which means the people would come out of the town to meet this important dignitary, kind of for the final leg of the journey. They would get on a horse, they'd go run out there, that the town would leave their town knowing this person's coming, meet this important person, and waltz them back into town to show them honor. That's why you're being resurrected into the air with God. It's trippy, it sounds nuts, but it's about as nuts as God creating the entire world and resurrecting from the dead. This is a God's got a God sort of thing. If you try to overthink it, like, how does this exactly work? It works because God is God and that's what he's doing. And he resurrects all people to this thing where his bride, he will greet all of his people. We will be with the Lord always and that should deeply encourage our hearts. But he also resurrects all who don't believe and resurrects them unto eternal judgment. That's why Paul and Jesus says it in John 11, calls us asleep because we're not forever dead. That we will be wakened back up to our bodies after death. That all who are in Christ are never lost. They're found and will live again. And all who refuse the Lord will be sentenced to a second death. A true death for the refusal of Jesus. But all will stand before the Lord in resurrection. But are we are... To overthink this is kind of guesswork. To try to nitpick exactly how all this occurs is unhelpful. But what is extremely helpful that we're better and wiser to receive these five truths is to listen to them and do exactly as Paul says in verse 18. It says, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. We think end time stuff, we should never talk about it. It's divisive, it's weird, it's scary. All that's probably true, but Paul says this is actually a great encouragement to you because when you know how the story is ending, when you know how the story is ending, you can actually grieve with hope. It gets back to what Paul's saying, that you don't need to go around like those who have no hope, but you can have hope. Look at this chart with me. So there's two equal and opposite airs, And you've all experienced this. Maybe you've been this person or known someone. That there's grief with no hope. And then there's hope or a kind of hope with no grief. And there's a way to miss the gospel on either edge. Paul's talking about this one. But man, is this common too in our culture. And it works like this. Grieving with hope is anchored in truth that Jesus is coming back and will always be with the Lord. To have grief and no hope is anchored in our feelings, to go under the water of our depression and our sadness. Hope with no grief is just not anchored in reality. You might be like, "Ah, the Lord's good, and never cry or shed those tears over your lost loved one. Grieving with hope is fully human and full of hope. Grief with no hope is fully human without faith. Hope with no grief is full of hope, but not engaging the reality of what's actually happening. And we see in Acts, 2, in Acts 8, verse 2, when Stephen is martyred, they don't all say, oh, glory of God, we'll be fine. They say they carry his body filled with tears. In John 11, when Lazarus dies, Jesus fully knowing the resurrection's coming in like an hour, Jesus weeps at the sight of Mary and Martha. There's a way to be faithful with our sadness, with our grief, with hope. Grief with no hope becomes gangrene. It just spreads to every part of our life. We stop being able to think about life at all. Grieving with hope learns the rest, need the help of others, and depend on God. Hope with no grief looks like ignoring or burying the wound so that no one can touch it, and I must be above it. When we think about this, grieving with hope shows that it's okay to be weak and let the Lord be strong, to follow Jesus and the church patterns and these things. But grief with no hope leaves us paralyzed or make drastic changes to feel. There's both a helpless and a hopeless dynamic to it. Hope with no grief often looks trapped in secular toxic passivity or misguided ideas of strength. And here's the big thing that really gets to my heart. When we miss out on God's comfort, we're not able to comfort others. See, 2 Corinthians 1 teaches us that the God of all comfort can comfort us, and then we in turn can comfort others with it. When we pretend to be stronger than we are, pretend to be something we're not, we actually miss out and reject God's comfort in our life, and it robs us of empathy to comfort others. Church, that's a big chart. There's a lot going on there. It'll be in your weekly newsletter. But I want you to think, have I been faithful in stewarding my grief in my life? Have I missed on either side? And how can I correct it and come to say, God has hope for me. And it's not on my feelings. It's not on my strength. It's not on my toughness. It's not on my despair. It's that the Lord is coming back and he's never letting go. What Paul leans into the Thessalonians to say is the Lord is coming back and he's never letting go, ever. So that's why you can grieve with hope. And Paul takes them there, but doesn't leave them there. He says, grieve with hope, but also stay awake. Stay awake, verse chapter five, verse two through six. Look at this. It says, "For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. They will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers. For that day does surprise you like a thief. For 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 you are all children of light, children of day. We are not of the night or of the darkness." So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For the Christian, Jesus' coming will still be sudden, but it will not be a surprise. We will not be taken off guard that the Lord is returning by any means. We will be a children of the light who live our life before God, that choose to live our life before God and don't get busy with the darkness of the world. Our concern will stay that the Lord is coming And we'll choose not to busy or distract ourselves, but rather stay awake and eagerly wait for the goodness of the Lord. Paul continues kind of with a grandmother's logic here in verses 7 and 8. He says, For those who are asleep sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. And since we belong to a day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love for the helmet of the hope of salvation." It's grandmother's logic like this. Sounds like, hey, if everyone jumps off a bridge, doesn't mean you should too. Just because everyone else says, I'm going to live for the darkness. I don't care. The Lord's not coming back. Paul's simply saying, hey, if everyone else is doing it, doesn't mean you have to. You can continue on to grow in your faith, hope, and love. You can continue to march towards the light, even if you feel like every high school friend or college friend or your neighborhood or your coworkers are choosing another way. That's okay. Okay. There's an urgency to tell them about the light and tell them about the Lord. But sometimes you're just gonna have to go against the grain and just be and live a different way. And it's okay to feel alone in that because you're not alone. The Lord is never letting go and he's surely coming for you. And we are people of the light because, not because we're better, not because we're smarter, not because we got it right, not because we were raised the right way. We're people of the light because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look with me at verses nine and 10. This is where Paul brings it together in the gospel. It says this, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we are awake Or asleep that we might live with him. The cross means Jesus took the wrath for our sins. We have obtained salvation not because we are good enough, not because we got things right like the lotto, but because Jesus died for us. He endured the wrath due for our sins in our place. Verse nine means the good news of God's salvation is a gift. We don't earn it by our perfect goodness. Verse 10 tells us the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection means our hope is secure, not because we're ready, but because God is coming and because he loves us. So church, we have nothing to fear in this life, nor fear at Jesus' coming. We're the people who can stay awake, grieve with hope, face the darkness of the world, knowing one day Jesus will correct every injustice no one will slip by things. Jesus will right every wrong. Jesus will see everything done in the darkness so that we can be a people of light, grieving with hope and staying awake to the very end. I'll end as Paul does with now what's a familiar line to us in verse 11. It says, therefore, encourage one another, and build one another up just as you're doing. Church, make yourself absolutely full with the work of encouraging each other. You don't know whose life is internally imploding, and you don't need your life to be imploding to need encouragement. I need encouragement. Y'all need encouragement? Like 75% of you need encouragement. The rest of you are very, very confident. I love that, but maybe take a little encouragement. If you want to obey this text well, it isn't getting out end times chart. It isn't buying a hundred prophecy books. To obey this text well is encourage one another that the Lord has saved us. The Lord is never letting go. And the Lord is surely coming soon. And that's enough to grieve with hope and more than enough reason to stay awake in our life. Encourage one another, church. You've been listening to the Citizens Church Podcast. Special thanks to Murphy DX who recorded our theme music. If you'd like to learn more about Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama, you can visit us on our website at citizensbhm.com or on the usual suspects Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.